The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio, we're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week, the first week of 2022, we've got a very special guest, a returning guest actually, Dan Millman, the author of The Peaceful Warrior and many other books about how to live our best lives. So it's about spiritual quests and how we integrate spirituality into our day-to-day lives. And it's a really terrific honor to have Dan back on the show because he's got a new book. It's just coming out right now. It's called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. And it's the true story of Dan's spiritual quest. And I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. Dan traces back to four special teachers that he had in his life, the professor, the guru, warrior priest and a sage and we get into the meaning of teachers and how to work with teachers and what you learn from different teachers and also we get into the way of this peaceful warrior his iconic book as well as some of his other wonderful books everyday enlightenment and many others and i think you're really going to enjoy it and dan is a great guy he's been very kind to me and to guys guys radio and i'm thrilled and honored that he's here with us to kick off a brand new year so how's everybody doing out there we're into January 2022, are we optimistic? Do we have New New Year's resolutions? I decided to put a New Year's resolution into uh, effect. I am repeating what I did a couple of years ago, which is called the process of elimination diet. What I do is I give up one food or beverage every week, aggregate for a year, and I track it. And I am doing it for a special reason that I'll talk about later in the year, but I'm starting off my first week. The first thing I'm giving up for an entire 2022 is alcohol. And it's not going to be too tough for me because I I gave it up a year ago and I managed to get through the year okay. And I'm just going to keep going. So for 2022, no alcohol. I've actually found some replacements for alcohol. And, you know, when you do these diets where you keep a journal and stuff, you really learn a lot about yourself and about your habits. What I learned from giving up alcohol was that half of the joy, if you will, quote unquote joy, from the indulgence is really the ritual, the having that cold mug of something that's like beer in there or uh, opening the bottle of wine and pouring it into the glass. And it's just as important as the alcohol itself. So I have found drinking non-alcoholic beer has been great because they actually, they taste real good. They're light. I don't drink a lot of them. If I have one, I'll have like one. And sometimes I don't even finish the whole thing, but it's like being able to drink, even though I'm not consuming any alcohol. And the same thing for wine, although the wines, uh, it's not quite the same experience because the 
you know, wines, the tastes of the wines can be very sophisticated. Not that beers aren't that way, but I'm finding a much more challenging time replicating wine through the alcohol-removed wines that are out there. But it's okay. It's worth it because I'm finding also that the pros from not drinking, for me, I'm not saying it's right for you or anybody else, even though a lot of people get into dry January, I'm finding that the rewards far outweigh the sacrifices and that um, I have a lot more energy. It's it's easier on my wallet. It's easier on my weight, waist, waistline, and I sleep better and I just feel better. I have a lot more energy. So anyhow, that's my New Year's resolution is my, I'm going to uh, journal my diet for the year and I'm going to give up one thing, aggregate, uh, every week for the year. So maybe I'll give up chocolate next week. I don't know. I don't I have a week to decide. So if you're going to do a New Year's resolution, Now's the time to get it going because before you know it, you're into week two and then it's like, ah, oh, I'll just like be positive or something like that, which is great. But it's, I find it's nice to kind of keep track of things and, and stay on a path because a lot of times, you know, people say, I'm going to go to the gym now and they go and then they, they fall off by March or they just don't do it for the whole year. And it's tough and I totally get it. But if you keep a journal on things and you choose something that you can document, uh, I find that that helps. Anyhow, Guys Guys Radio... My very special guest this week is Dan Millman. He's been a, a friend of mine, a friend of the show. I say friend in quotes because I don't know him that well, but he's just treated me like a friend. He's treated me with respect, and I hold him in the highest esteem and really think he's a, a real-life teacher, a very special global teacher that we've had the opportunity to talk to a couple of times on Guys Guys Radio. I'm going to do it right here, right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio. My favorite part of the show is when I get to interview some really interesting people. And I've got one of my favorite guests of all time. He's returning to Guys Guys Radio. He's the author of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. His name is Dan Millman. For over 40 years, through 18 books and seminars, so many seminars he's taught, Dan has shown us how to live with a peaceful heart and a warrior spirit. He's also a former world champion athlete, which I love. He's a university coach, martial arts instructor, college professor, and dare I say, a true guy's guy. His seminal best-selling book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was adapted into a feature film starring Nick Nolte. His latest book that we're going to talk about today is called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. It's hitting shelves in January. And it's his, it's basically, it's his memoir, Life Story, but with teaching. And he focuses on four key teachers that he worked with during the years that are really highlighted. And it's really an amazing tale. He shares his true story about his search for the good life and his reflections on the extraordinary experiences and teachers that shaped his evolution from youthful dreamer to spiritual teacher. And he's not done yet. Dan's wisdom and teachings are timeless. He's really helped me a lot. We were just talking before we went on air. I've been doing his Peaceful Warrior workout for about four years now. And I got to tell you, I feel and look better than I have in the past 20 years. It's just amazing stuff. And one of the things we're going to talk about is guys out there, you know, as we age, us boomers out there, we don't have to let our lights dim. We don't have to wane. We can dial it up. We can be brighter and brighter and brighter based on the wisdom that we've garnered and put out there and we can help other people and help continue to help ourselves. So please welcome Dan Millman back to Guys Guys Radio. I'm so glad you're here, Dan. 
Well, I'm glad to be here with you, Robert. It's uh, always a pleasure. So let's start with the new book, In Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. You share with us four of the most significant teachers in your life, timeless insights that are relevant right now. What inspired you to write this book and why do you think this was the right time for the book? Well, you know, people have asked me, um, how did you get so lucky to have these four master teachers uh, in your life? And I think it's because of an early commitment, even as when I was a young trampoline jumper, um, I loved teaching and influencing people. And so anything I learned, I'd like to share with other people, not just keep it for myself, so to speak, and improve it along the way if I could, uh, the transmission, so to speak. So I think um, that was my primary motive that led me, that maybe opened me up, um, as well as some adversity that I had to overcome. Um, it opened me to these four teachers. And People have also said, you know, Dan, what if you'd met them in different orders? And I don't think I could have or would have. It was organic. It was almost predestined in retrospect uh, that I'd meet each one in turn. And they represent different aspects of the spiritual quest, of the search for enlightenment, happiness, meaning. And they took me one to the other. And I call them by, as you know, Robert, uh, four archetypal names, the professor, the guru, the warrior priest, and the sage. Uh, but they had real names. They were very real people. Uh, one of them is still alive. Um, and I spent almost 20 years uh, studying with them one after the next. And so I like to introduce to readers uh, what drew me in? And I hope uh, if I'm successful, readers will go, wow, I wish I'd had that teacher. But then I also explain why I decided to move on and what I learned from that. Um, and some people, you know, they take a martial art and they stick with one martial art or religion or uh, philosophy, and that's it, their whole life. And they can go pretty deep studying that. Um, I've always been a generalist. I like to compare and contrast different approaches. And so I was probably a good vessel to convey this broader-minded approach to what we call the spiritual quest, the quest for happiness. Yeah, that's a great point because it's not like spirituality. It's not one size fits all. Everybody has their, their own path and it's not about judgment. A spirituality, though, is a term, Dan, it's all loosely thrown around today. Everybody's talking about spirituality and wanting to be spiritual. At this point in time, based on your experiences, what does spirituality mean to you, Dan? And has this changed over the years? Well, I would say yes, in answer to that question. It has changed, but it's different for each person, as you know. It's like love, you know, that can mean many different things, parental love, uh, uh, you know, erotic love, uh, uh, romantic love, and, and, and so on. And in the same thing with spirituality, many people associate it with belief or religion, uh, particular rituals or tradition. Uh, but, you know, when my daughter, who was a voracious reader, uh, when she was, you know, nine, 10 years old, she was reading everything. And I once asked her, uh, since Sierra, she's now a co-author of mine on one of my books on writing. Um, I, I said, Sierra, which of the books you've read would you say are your favorite spiritual books? Can you write a list for me? And she wrote out a list of 10 books. And what was notable about that list was not a single one had any metaphysical 
or religious or new age uh, ideas in it. They were books that inspired her, that uplifted her, that connected her with something that we all want. And that's, that's why in the key terms in the beginning of the book, one of those key terms is spiritual. And I say that which inspires and uplifts. And of course, we know inspire means to breathe in spirit. So, and spirits all around us, you know, it's funny. Many people go, I wish I felt more spirit in my life or more beauty, more inspiration. Uh, and I ask them, well, does the, you know, the weather report every morning say 20% chance of rain and maybe 35% spirit out today? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I think we swim in spirit. We breathe it. It interpenetrates us. The beauty, inspiration is all around us. But, and, and we feel it sometimes in moments. But most of the time we're preoccupied with what am I going to do about my relationship, my finances, my decisions I have to make, my physical ailments, and so on. So our attention is trapped by um, those preoccupations. And we have to travel to another part of the world to kind of wake up for a few moments and look at the world again with the eyes of a child and go, wow, you know, when I'm in Europe, I go down the street in a trolley, a new experience. And I, I say, look, a laundromat. Yeah, you, know, you know, it's just a laundromat, but that's an adventure when you're in Europe. You, you probably experienced sure, that. Sure. So, so um, I think that's the whole idea to me of spirituality is that which uplifts and inspires us and connects us to the numinous, to the transcendent. A terrific point because so many of us, we fall into the trap and it's understandable that we're reacting to life, reacting over and over again. It's like a Xerox copy instead of being in the moment and experiencing life and letting spirit experience life through us moment by moment and just being like right here right now and and not being concerned about the other stuff sure we all have problems but we have to be present and i think uh, nowadays it's it's tougher than ever with so much going on dan you identified four of your many teachers and shared tales and experiences with each of them that helped you grow and live your best life each had his own style of teaching and each one affected you in a different way and as men, they had their own issues to deal with, with their along their personal paths and journeys. How did you select and, and choose these four mentors out of the many teachers you've worked with, including just the day-to-day -day people and experiences of life itself? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I wouldn't have written the book if it were just about me, for example. But as you noted, I wanted to share um, and illuminate, shed light on uh, everyone's path this universal aspect of the path. And so I need to acknowledge uh, in some of my books, there are female teachers. In one of them, there's a Hawaiian kahuna named Amachia. Um, and in one of them, there's a timeless woman sage. I meet up in the mountains. Uh, and, and my wife and others have been role models. So there are many women in, in my life as well. But as happens, these four primary mentors were all men. And they dealt with male issues um, in their own way. And in fact, one of the central themes, I repeat several times in the book, is that every teacher is human and every human has flaws. So what we don't often grasp is a teacher can be uh, an enlightened master teacher and still manifest issues of their own. Um, in fact, well, I don't want to give away too much from the book, so I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Um, but these, one of them took a technological approach, a step-by-step -step, um, approach to doing various practices 
and then experiencing what those practices, where they lead, a clarification of consciousness, deeper self-knowledge, uh, more physical vitality through uh, the professor, you know, gave us breath work, 50 different kinds of meditations. Um, and I mean, different kinds, different types of meditations for different purposes, body work, uh, uh, profound body work, like in, in the way of the peaceful warrior, I talk about this bone massage that I, that the old, my literary mentor Socrates taught me in that book. Uh, but I learned that from the professor based on uh, the Mongolian warriors had a way of trying to clear fear-produced tension from the body before and prior and after they went into battle. So we learned many fascinating, esoteric, deep, profound, well-integrated exercises. Um, and that was said to lead to enlightenment. That was the promise. But... I'll leave whether that worked or not to another time. But I ended up moving on to the guru. And, and as many of us know, gurus have a different approach. Those who are true masters, illumined masters who were vanished, uh, the ego vanished and, and the divine, let's say, the source, whatever we want to call it, shines through. It's surrender to that divine through the personage of that teacher. And that's how the guru worked. He, he once said, I'd rather beat you with a stick than teach you to meditate your way to enlightenment. And that, now, that may offend some people who do a lot of meditation. And meditation is a wonderful exercise, uh, um, though it struck me at some point that meditation wasn't really about quieting the mind. It was about quieting the body. And when the body is quiet and stable, the mind tends to mirror that. So... Anyway, um, there, was, there was that approach, which literally I spent almost eight years uh, as a student, as a devotee, in and out of the girls' community, experiencing many things um, before I went on to the third and fourth mentors. And as you know from reading the book, they all had uh, various kinds of challenges, um, physical and other kinds. Uh, uh, Let's uh, touch on the other two. There was the professor, Oscar, it chanced. Azo, and um, he taught you, uh, if I may, self-knowledge to the point of illumination, attention, and vitality through breath and movement, just as a kind of a header there. Um, the guru, Franklin Jones, demanding everything and returning grace as an enlightened way of being. And then you moved on to the warrior priest, Michael Bookbinder, validation, opening new vistas. And along the way, for instance, and with the guru, that's when you created the way of the peaceful warrior. I mean, it, 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 there's many renditions of that, that you, you know, rewrites and everything, but it seems like that came out of that period. And then when you were with Michael Bookbinder, you did peaceful warrior workout and life purpose system, the life you were born to live. And you get to the sage, David K. Reynolds, reconnecting to life is what we do moment by moment with the support of others. And he got into constructive living with uh, Shimona, Marita, and just there's so much there, Six steps, steps to Enlightenment, and your book, Everyday Enlightenment, I think came out of that period, and that's my favorite book of yours, because it's got 12 steps that are incredibly helpful and timeless, as well as there's the Peaceful Warrior work, uh, Workout embedded in the book, and that's how I discovered that. I, I found your book in a bookstore, because I was thinking, and it shows how things are out in the field. I want to write a book with steps about becoming enlightenment, and it was done. It was there. And I think that actually what happened, it drew me to your book, and then I got out of it, the Peaceful Warrior Workout, and I got a bunch of whole 
whole bunch of other ideas, but it seems like when the student's ready, the teacher shows up, and it certainly was the case in your life, and I'm experiencing the same thing. Could you talk about that a little bit for our, for our listeners? Well, I appreciate your bringing up that question, because many people might imagine, oh, well, Dan then, what he did was he shared what he learned from the, the professor, the guru, and so on. And there were, there were periods of time where I started uh, sharing some of what I'd learned, but I realized they were containers that needed to be done within that, that tradition from that person. I didn't try to teach Oscar's material. It had to take place in a particular way, but I gave people samples so they might want to do that training. The point is the material, for example, in Everyday Enlightenment, which is one of my magnum opuses, it's, it, it defines the entire arena, what we call personal development or personal growth, as you know. Um, and that didn't come from any of those teachers. That they actually planted seeds that um, insight that inspired new insights. So what I share is my own unique expression. Uh, I I couldn't match the professor and what he did. Nor the, am I trying to attract followers as a guru who just sit with me. I don't do that. Um, and the warrior priest was quite an adventurer. And it would be hard to match his charisma and, and uh, his nature. He had his own style. But the summation of all of them, including the sage, um, I, I ended up, well, as, as my old literary mentor and muse, Socrates, once said, Dan, some people launder uh, money. You launder spiritual teachings. So I try to express things without jargon or beliefs. Um, in a way that is practical, can be used in everyday life. And so they inspired what I teach rather than my parodying of their words. However, as you point out, and as I, I say in the book, um, yes, I wrote Way of the Peaceful Warrior uh, 14 years after meeting that old fellow in the gas station who inspired the character of Socrates. Um, and it was after my time with the professor, Oscar, and it was, uh, well, toward the tail end of my time with the, uh, the guru, again, after eight more years passed. Uh, that's when I wrote Way of the Peaceful Warrior, somehow using some autobiographical elements with some fictional elements I wove together to create a book to share what I learned in a way that people might relate to. And it turned out many of them did, several millions of them did. Um, and yes, all the books that followed at least have a touch of the influence, as you pointed out very strongly. Now, of the different, of, of the warrior priest to finish the sentence and the sage. Um, but I have to say that the, the, uh, one of my best-selling books, The Life You Were Born to Live with a Life Purpose System to clarify some of the core issues of our lives, um, that came from uh, several nights of lectures by the warrior priest. And I took careful notes and typed them up right afterward. And I had a total of 20 pages of notes. When I wrote the life you were born to live about nine years later. Um, it was a 450 page book uh, because it's a, it's a reference work yeah. with all the life paths. 
So I did expand from my own insights after working with this material, not just publishing his 20 pages of notes. Mm -hmm. So again, I want to emphasize that um, this approach to living I call the peaceful warrior's way is I owe a debt to these four mentors uh, for opening me up to sharing what I've always wanted to share. One more thing I might mention, Robert, is that, as I mentioned in the book, um, I was really into self-improvement. When I was a young boy, I learned all kinds of skills. I mentioned with a bullwhip and frisbee throwing and juggling and ventriloquism and memory courses and speed reading. And I was, and one day though, it just, I, I stopped short and I said, you know, no matter how much I improve myself, only one person benefits. But if I can use that self-improvement to share with others, to influence other people, that made my life more meaningful. And so that's what I've been doing ever since that's been my commitment. And I think that's what allowed me to, to share and acknowledge my teachers uh, in a way that I thought was appropriate and might help uh, shed light for many readers. Absolutely. You're, you're, it's your service that really made the difference, it sounds like, Dan. My special guest, Dan Millman, the author of Way of the Peaceful Warrior. The new book is Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest. We talked about the four mentors that you chose for this book. Was there, and they had their problems, one in particular had some issues, but was there a connective tissue between the, the four of them that um, impacted your uh, final selection as to these were the four mentors that I want to focus on for this book? Well, yes, and to completely answer what you brought up before, you, you said, why these four? I don't know why these four. Um, it seemed like synchronicities in many cases. Um, I, I described how I met the warrior priest just by coincidence. Uh, often it seems to happen like that. Looking back, it was like, wow, if I just made a writer instead of left turn, um, I wouldn't have met them. So I didn't use them for this book. It's not like I've had 20 major teachers and I only chose these four. Yes, I've had many role models, male and female in my life. My teammates, my gymnastics teammates at Cal who are heroes in their own way, uh, admirable people. Uh, I've met many people who were role models and I mentioned that in the book as well. But rather than scatter it all over, because we've all met role models, we've all had teachers who inspired us a few we remember maybe from school, but also in everyday life. Um, we've learned from our parents positive and maybe negative examples as well. Um, so I didn't just choose them arbitrarily to include in the book. These stood out in my mind above other role models and, and, uh, and teachers. Um, so as I said, I called a friend uh, when I was traveling around the world on a grant as a college professor. And he said, Dan, I just finished this amazing training. You got to drop everything and do it if you can. And it turned out in that moment, I could do just that. So I delayed my travels around the world for 40 days. And I took up this, the Oscar, Oscar's first training, 40 day intensive, 10 hours a day. Um, and because of the group process and the way it was put together, it really accelerated my evolution. I learned things that you, many people don't learn in a lifetime or mm -hmm. several maybe. Um, but that all happened because I happened to call my friend and at the right time. So again, um, this isn't 
my way of telling people, this is what you can do. I'm not trying to lay out a clear trail of breadcrumbs, even though that's my hope. I'm, I think in, in reading about my experiences with these particular teachers, I think the reader, this is what I'm hoping, will gain a vast perspective. Uh, and in, in a way, it's a cautionary tale, too, about the constant searching, the constant seeking, uh, and how I finally came to rest. And so uh, even though it, the specifics are, are not, maybe won't mirror what other people have done or gone through, people will relate to many aspects of the search and, in their own life. And one of the fundamental aspects of what I teach is that there is no best teacher. I'm not saying my mentors were the best, but they were pretty good. Um, there's no best teacher, religion, path, um, diet, exercise system, martial art. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. And life is an experiment. We have to see what works for us. And those teachers apparently were the best for me at that time. And I'm very happy to have put in the work so I could share it in a way that might touch other lives. Well, it's, uh, you did a terrific job. I really enjoyed the book. I read it over the weekend, uh, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Let's talk about one of your very, very special and most important teachers, Socrates, the character of the old man that met at the gas station in your, in your book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. You come out and tell us now that Socrates is really you, I'm assuming your higher self, your guardian angel, whatever, your conscious conscience. Um, talk to us a little bit about Socrates, uh, who, what he is, and what he means to you, and how you keep working with Socrates today. Ah, well, th that's that's a lot. Um, and I don't want to, you know, really give a spoiler of any kind sure. uh, for people. I like to surprise them when they read the preface. Um, but I have been very straightforward. You know, I was, I found uh, the books of Carlos Castaneda. Remember him? I read them years ago. Yeah. Um, I read the first three and I actually met him. I mentioned that in the book too. Yes. I bumped into him one day, again, by coincidence. Um, and he insisted the books were true. Right. Uh, I don't believe it for a moment. I, I really don't. But it, but he created such an evocative um, uh reality, a separate reality, so mm -hmm. to speak, um, that his book seemed real. And the difference between us is I've been straightforward from the start of letting people know Peaceful Warrior was autobiographical fiction. It's, it, it's, it's, it's semi-autobiographical. It does tell, and people who read Peaceful Heart Warrior Spirit, the true story, there's no fiction in it. It's what actually happened to me as best, the best as I can express it. Um, so I've been straightforward that that book was quite, kind of a new genre. I never called it a memoir. This new book is memoir. Yes. But it, you, you, you base it on memory, not make up stuff, uh, even though you have to reconstruct some memories, uh, as we all do. Um, so I was straightforward about that. And I did say that it was difficult to know, uh, even from the preface or the introduction to Way of the Peaceful Warrior, my first book, I said it was difficult to know where he ended and life experiences uh, began. I was hinting at that time. And 
he was a powerful figure in my life based on an actual cosmical guy I met in the service station about three in the morning, as depicted in the movie version of the book, too. Um, he didn't look like Nick Nolte, though. Uh, <laughs> I have to <laughs> I have to tell you. But Nick was terrific in the role. Um, so he became the archetypal mentor representing the two I had met so far and trained with. Um, and while I was working on the book, I wrote uh, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, the new book. I wrote it in nine drafts, nine full rewrites. And each time it changed, it transformed. I took a 500-page uh, uh, shaggy hedge of a book and turned it into a bonsai of just over 200 pages. Uh, I don't like to take up too much of readers' time. I like to put what I need to. You know, see, people say, how, how do you know your legs are long enough? I say they reach the ground. You know, in the same way, you know a book is long enough because it, it is cover to cover. Um, so I had to do a lot of work. And in that process, my daughter, again, Sierra, now, now Joy, my wife Joy has always been my first editor. She read every draft, gave me feedback. Um, and as you know, she added commentaries in the book. Yes. So people get her take on what was going on as well. Um, but only about 10 pages of the, of the 200 page book. Uh, but she also served a, as a kind of uh, editor and uh, helping me glean it down from this massive self-indulgent overwriting, uh, which I usually do first drafts. And Sierra, my daughter said, Hey dad, wouldn't it be fun if you had some dialogues with Socrates in this book? And I, you know, it immediately struck me, wouldn't that be fun? Especially after the small revelation I offer in the preface. Um, so we, so there are some, as you know, dialogues with this old guy. And it was like effortless to write. It was fun. I edited a little bit, but um, people feel the old energy who, who enjoyed my dialogues mm -hmm. with Socrates and Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I think they'll, they'll get a kick out of, uh, of these. Well, no... So, I don't know if that really answers the yes. question you raised. Uh, well, um, you know, I don't think you need to worry about spoiler alert because you come right out at the beginning of the book and you talk about Socrates. And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I think we've all kind of grown since then. And I think um, some people might do the math and say, hey, this is this is part of Dan. So I guess my question would be for now is what what uh, how do you relate to Socrates now at this point in your life? With great affection. Uh, as my muse and inspiration. Uh, I mean, it was, 14, I'm, it was 14 years after I met that old guy in the gas station. Um, I have a letter I didn't put in the book, but an, I think I got an email, or it might have been an actually written letter from a young fellow whose grandfather worked the night shift at that old service station during the time I went to Berkeley. Uh, there's no sense giving his name out right now, but he was probably the same old guy I met. And 14 years later, when I was trying to figure out how to convey um, some ideas I wanted to share, um, he, he popped into my mind. And so I guess he became my muse. It took that form. You know, some people claim to channel these 20,000-year-old dead entities and discarnate people. And um, 
yeah, they, they, they channel these higher beings from outer space or, or, or interdimensional, Jesus or whoever. Right? Yeah, yeah. Interdimensional, yes. And to me, that's their muse. Um, it inspires them and it feels like a separate person. They've, uh, they've put it into a compartment. This is that person speaking wisdom to you. And I was able to write wiser words in Way of the Peaceful Warrior using him as my muse than I would have just being Dan Millman. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, I wasn't ready to step into that role. I want to help out the guys out there. And one of the things that really impresses me about you that I could relate to is uh, beyond the fact that you try a lot of different things, but you are, you're a persistent person and you are a perfectionist in a way to a point. And athletics have always been kind of a uh, grounding point for you. Could you talk to us about the importance for, particularly for guys, getting in touch with their body as part of their overall uh, spiritual development, just life journey, et cetera. Because many times, and of course, in today's day and age, you can do so many things remotely, you almost never have to get up or leave the house. You just sit behind your computer all day. And a lot of people do that. And I don't think it's really what we're what was intended for us. And I always feel that, you know, getting outside every day, you got to get outside. You got to put your feet on the ground. You got to take a breath of fresh air. You got to look at the back of the leaves. You got to listen to a bird chirp. You got to stay in touch with that stuff. How, how important uh, was athletics? I think it's related to all of that, but to your development as a person and being able to become such an effective teacher. Ah, boy, so much came up for me during your question. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Uh, let me start here. Um, in the movie Zorba the Greek, Anthony Quinn plays Zorba. And after somebody talked about some heady ideas, he said, you know, if you could dance what you just said, I might understand. <laughs> and yes, we all need to stay in touch with our bodies. But for men, I think it's this whole idea of being manly enough. Uh, whether one is macho or not, they, we just want to be manly. Now, of course, we know today gender identity can be fluid, but anatomically, most of us, most of us, not everybody, but most of us have male anatomy or female anatomy, however we identify. Um, and there are actually some rather interesting, but that would be for another program, mm-hmm. uh, our, our identities. And, and uh, based on the three selves that I described in Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, um, there's a very interesting theory that I don't think anybody's ever raised about why people identify as they do. We say it's genetic. We don't know, you know. But for guys, there is that concern. Am I manly enough? Um, and so certain sports, combative sports, yes, I'm being manly. I'm doing rugby, football, you know, uh, basketball and those things. Now, you know, some of my friends used to tease me. Oh, you're, you're in that sport gymnastics. Don't they wear tights and slippers? <laughs> um, and, and yet a Men's Health magazine uh, about two decades ago uh, rated men's gymnastics as the toughest sport in the world, just above bull riding and the triathlon. Um, and they had a big algorithm in for, terms of how they computed, you know, injury rates, the danger, how hard it is to begin and so on. And, and people have seen gymnasts today and wonder how they do what they do and how they're 
you know, because they show they're very strong and that's supposed to be ma- masculine too, to be very strong. Well, and rebounding um, so big now too. Yeah. Us- using a absolutely. rebounder at home. Great, great work. I do. I have a rebounder I use every day. Me too. Running real fast, jumping up and down. Yeah. It's very good apparatus. Um, and to music. See, if you talk about dance, well, men have to do a certain dance a certain way. They can't just move and flow to the rhythm. They tend to be a little more like muscular and in, in tension. <laughs> and we just have to get free of that thing. And when we're alone sometimes, guys can put on music and just move around, you know, and groove a little bit and, and be graceful. Um, you know, the first physical challenge I ever had, as I relate in the book, was I was about nine or 10 years old when I, uh, my mother who played the piano, played for a modern dance class, didn't want to pay a babysitter, and so brought me to the class, enrolled me, and it was me and nine or 10 girls in their tights and tutus, and I had had to wear tights too. You can imagine how thrilled me as a a nine-year-old boy would be to be in a, you know, just a a group of uh, little girls. Uh, I didn't know how to deal with it, but it taught me muscular control. Uh, refined muscular control. I know a modern dance teacher who you can point to any one of her toes and she can move that individually. That's the kind of refinement you you learn. Um, And I learned to point my toes. It helped me with trampoline and gymnastics and everything that followed. So again, one can be, I consider myself masculine, you know, martial arts and athlete and so on, but, but I'm fairly balanced. I'm not the Marlboro man, you know, these, the, the archetypes of the, uh, the cowboy, you know, who speaks low and acts a certain way. Uh, the samurai, you know, who marched around going, Yosh! you know, they, they have a very hyper-masculine, if you've seen the samurai movies, Toshuma Fune and so on. And where the geisha, the, the women act like little girls, covering their mouth, going tee-hee-hee. Uh, and it's like hyper, hyper gender separation where we need to find a balance. And I think it's healthier, actually. Um, so I, I, that may be a bit of a tangent, but it's part of my character as it developed. And as you know, I was also bullied and I had to, that's what sent me into the martial arts and training uh, over time and at six or seven different arts uh, throughout my life, pretty much. So anyway, that, that's, that's what helped shape me. And I uh, thank you for asking the question that sent me off in that wild goose chase. In another way of helping guys, Dan, and I just have a few more questions. I know we're jamming on time. Um, how do you uh, recommend that today's men manage pressure and anger? Yes, I have a few pointed things to say in brief. First of all, as I learned from the sage, my fourth mentor, it's very important for us to accept our emotions and our thoughts as natural to us in the moment. Sometimes I feel angry or happy or sad or afraid or delighted. It changes. Emotions change all the time. They pass through us like the weather. Uh, I spoke at San Quentin prison once to a, a number of inmates And one of them came up to me and said, you know, Dan, I have a problem with rage. And I looked at him and I I looked up at him. He's a big guy. And I said, no, you don't. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. He was getting pretty upset. And I said, no, 
Rage is not a problem. It's like an emotional storm. The problem is what you do when you're enraged. And a light bulb went on for him because he couldn't control his emotions. Emotions change all the time. We can't will ourselves to feel differently from the way we do in the moment. There are occasions we've snapped out of it, gotten distracted, but usually not. Um, but he couldn't get a handle on what he did, how he behaved. And so when he got out, we formed a strategy. When you get out and, you, and your wife makes you crazy again, slam the door while you're leaving the room. Express yourself that way so you can't hurt your wife anymore if you're in a different room. So he learned a strategy for changing his behavior. And anger management courses don't stop anger. They change behavior. You learn to count 10. You do strategies, whatever it is. So in terms of anger, it's fine to be angry. I'm angry sometimes. I'm, I feel all these things sometimes. But the question always becomes, what will you do? Will you let impulse just take over? Or will you acknowledge you have anger, honor it? You know, solve the problem. What is creating the anger? And, and fix it. Maybe you have, you're justified in your anger. But you don't have to behave in an angry fashion, in an impulsive fashion. And that we do have control over. I learned that from the sage. Uh, I knew that. And yet, you know, Andre Gide, the great, great uh, philosopher, mm -hmm. he once said, everything that needs to be said has already been said. But it needs to be said again because no one was really paying attention. So what I'm doing is phrasing things in a certain way, as the sage did, offering these reminders of what we already know, but we tend to forget. And as far as pressure and stress go, we can't control stress. There are situations we'll meet that are stressful. But I'll tell you this, stress while being relaxed is very different from stress while being tense. And as it happens, even though we may not be able to control stress or pressure situations, we can take a deep breath. We can shake loose and relax our body. Everyone can control that. We can relax the body and take a deep breath. And can you imagine saying, oh, I'm so stressed right now. <laughs> but at the same time, our body is relaxed. And that can uh, re reduce or eliminate many of the negative effects of stress. So yeah, let's go through stress together. I get stressed sometimes, but I'm relaxed. I've learned to do that. And that's what I advise. Okay, last question for you, Dan, and thank you. The name of the book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest, Dan Millman, the author of the seminal book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Dan, what if you could talk to a younger version of yourself, I have an eight-year-old, and you uh, went through some things as a nine-year-old. If you could talk to you, the nine-year-old version of Dan Millman right now, what would you tell him? Well, it's as you know, it's not always easy to talk to an eight-year-old in a way that they can get. <laughs> yes. Their attention is on. But I get the idea. My younger self, how, what, what advice would I give? Yes. Uh, by the way, I have an eight-year-old, a five-and-a-half-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, grandchildren now. Um, and. And so I have that experience of reawakening to life all over again. But what, what I would hope for all of them and my younger self is I would say, please remember to trust your process. 
Trust your life unfolding. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Um, that is a profound disrespect to yourself because you're either going to feel superior or inferior. And when I was a young uh, coach at Stanford University, I realized some people learn somersaults faster than others. But those who took longer to learn sometimes learn them better than those who learn them faster. So we need to trust our own way of learning, our own interests, uh, our own talents and values and interests, and find our own life and our own path. So I'm not suggesting to people that they follow my path or find my mentors, but to be guided uh, with the broader perspectives that I share. And uh, I think when people come out of it, I hope they will start to honor themselves in their own path and their own courage. Uh, and and they, that they are peaceful warriors in training right now in the school of daily life. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you, Dan, for all of your contributions. There's many more to come, but you've really impacted humanity, impacted the world. You've helped me a lot and you helped our audience. And I, I thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio again. I love the book. The name of it is Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest, Dan Millman on Guys Guys Radio. Where can people find out more about you and uh, pick up your book? Sure. Uh, people are, they can find the book most everywhere, but uh, one easy way is to go to peacefulwarrior.com. And they can even find the Life Purpose Calculator there, some interesting things. It's free, uh, online courses and so on. But peacefulwarrior.com if people are curious about right. more. Thanks so much, Dan. God bless you. Thank you, Robert. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, what a fantastic conversation with a real teacher, Dan Millman, and a man that I, I truly admire and uh, for his kindness, for his warrior spirit and peaceful heart. And the name of the book is exactly that, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, The True Story of My Spiritual Quest, Dan Millman. So what did we learn from Dan today? I, I think we learned a, a number of things, but number one, I think uh, Dan identified four of his teachers uh, mentors, if you will, that he worked with over the years, the professor, the guru, the warrior, priest, and the sage that we discussed. And I think the point there is that we don't have to lock into one teacher. A lot of times we find in life, uh, I know what they say, the uh, when the student's ready, the teacher shows up. Uh, but teachers can come and go, and sometimes we change, and the teachers change, and you know we're all people. So we don't have to just put all of our eggs in the one teacher or mentor basket. I think it's it's good to evolve. And as our teachers evolve, we can evolve. And that doesn't mean we're not learning from them, but it doesn't mean that we have to just follow one person uh, for throughout our lives. I mean, we change, they change. The most important thing is to really trust yourself and keep on learning. And uh, and that, that seems to be the, the best way to move forward. Just always believe in yourself, trust yourself. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. If you feel like you're losing connection with your teacher, be thankful for what you got out of your teacher and it's okay to move on. It's okay to stay with them if you're comfortable with that. But most importantly, the one who is going through the journey is you. So enjoy it. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California. 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM. The podcast on my YouTube post every Thursday 
worldwide. The YouTube, you just Google my name or put in my name, Robert Manny, when you get to YouTube, and you'll t it'll take you to Guys Guys TV, which is my new YouTube channel. If you want to watch the interview, you can watch it there. If you want to listen to the entire show, my opening and closing, you can check it out on KCAA or my worldwide podcast, Guys Guys Radio. Additionally, the KCAA show rebroadcasts every Sunday in primetime at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So you can catch us twice on KCAA. You can catch the podcast uh, whenever you want. You can stream it. You can listen live. You can download it. You can watch the interviews. Hey, there's, <laughs> there's no excuses for you not to uh, subscribe to Guys Guys Radio on our YouTube channel, on Apple and just follow us, and I thank you so much for your support. So, you can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts, everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, which is the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's about guys, and it's about two guys in particular who work in advertising in New York City, and they, keep, they compete for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. Uh, from what I've been told from the readers, everybody has fun with the book because it's a real romp. There's savvy women, there's flawed men, but the, also the story is really about something, and there's something to take away from it. So I really hope you'll enjoy it. I've gotten wonderful reviews and a lot of kind comments from people and messages, and uh, I'm, I'm planning on some other books coming out in the next year or so. So hang in there. There's going to be more. But in the meantime, there's 300 blog posts on my website. And uh, you can download three free chapters of the book. And if you want to pick it up, you can get it, the physical copy or digital, whichever easier and best for you. Um, also, all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't do TikTok and uh, I'm just Snapchat. I'm, <laughs> I'm sticking with the, those three for right now. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But We've got a lot of great things planned for Guys Guys Radio this year. I'm, I'm getting very close to that 500th show. We're talking to a couple of different guests for that. And, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter uh, who the guest is. It's all about the fact that we've come together on this journey, quote-unquote journey, because some people don't like that word. But we're here, and uh, we're just getting started. And I've got a lot of great guests lined up for this year that you, I think you're really going to uh, connect with and identify with and learn a lot from, as I have learned so much from the 600 guests that I have interviewed over the years, as well as our 500 shows. So it's been an amazing um, experience for me, and there's lots more, and I'm here for you. And what I try to do each and every week, to the best of my abilities, to bring in guests who have something to say, something to add that we can all learn together uh, from their journeys, stories, experiences, and insights. So, Guys Guys Radio, I'm going to see you here next week. And until then, as I always like to say, well, first of all, Happy New Year. But as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>